Merry Christmas. The choir and singers will be back in a moment to share a final song with you. I just want to share a few thoughts. If you're a guest with us, thanks so much for being here. We're so glad you're here. We're going to give back to God. This is for our regular folks, just a way to say thank you to God for being so good to us. And, uh, if you're a guest, don't worry about it. Uh, so uh, I'm going to take a little survey here. Um, uh, real Christmas trees. Real Christmas trees? Okay, fake Christmas trees. Okay, no Christmas tree. Okay, so after our uh, 5 o'clock service, we're going to have some extras. So if you need... <laughs> so we uh, actually, uh, when we first put this little setup a few weeks ago, just kind of to give a little visual, somebody said, I can't believe you're selling Christmas trees. We're not. It's just a set, okay? Relax. But Christmas trees are interesting because, uh, I don't know why it is, but Christmas trees, uh, we either feel really good about our Christmas tree or not so good. You know what I'm saying? Everybody feel that way, right? Okay, so for example, you may be here and you're going, I did, it didn't work this year, it wasn't great. You know, like I've been the guy who is on the floor going, honey, is it straight yet? Honey, and you're getting poked with needles and she's there a day and a half, you know, three-sixteenths this way, and you know, I, I, you just got to get it right. So if you're not feeling good about your Christmas tree, we want to help you feel better. Here's some trees we found on the internet. Let me just show them to you. I don't know if that's a bad tree. It's just really, really pink. Uh, next one, uh, yeah. That one was malnutrition or something. I don't know what happened to them. It looks like a Disney character from a cartoon. It's a dancing, I don't know what it is. That, I hope that's a college student. You know what I'm saying? That's just all they could find. Maybe, I don't know. So I hope you feel better about your trees. My house, my house, we have two trees. They're unbelievable. I won't show you a picture because it'll make you feel bad about your tree. I'm serious. My wife is amazing and spends way too much money on our trees and way too much time, and they'll be down on the 26th. But anyway, uh, so why do we try so hard to make the trees perfect? Why do we try so hard to make the Christmas dinner perfect? We, you know, everything, all the perfect gifts. We just want it to be perfect, right? It just seems like perfect is the expectation at Christmas. Anybody have a perfect Christmas ever, completely perfect? No, because here's the deal. You work to get the tree perfect, even if you get it really good, and the house perfect, and the meal perfect, and the outfit perfect. The problem is it's your family coming over. <laughs> Perfection just went out the window. Let's just be honest about that, all right? So I have a theory. If you allow me to expand that, globalize that a little bit, I want to suggest that's about kind of how we live our lives. We try to get everything just perfect. We get everything just lined up just right, just perfect, and, and, and it just looks great. And, and we think that we can, and here is, the, here is the false assumption, we think we can arrange ourselves into a perfect life. If we could just get the perfect decorations for life. And, and in life, the decorations are things hanging on a tree there, and maybe degrees hanging on the wall, <laughs> or they may be certain kinds of jobs or certain kinds of relationships. And if we could just get all of these things lined up and everything, all the decorations right, we'll have a perfect life. But we never get there. And you've never known anybody who got there. Now, I understand on social media, everybody pretends they've gotten there, but they're lying. Okay, so here is the deal. If we can't arrange a perfect Christmas or a perfect life, what's the point? It's this. The first Christmas wasn't perfect. Think about it. It wasn't, not only was it not perfect, it wasn't even good. It was downright bad. Let's think about this. Circumstantially, it was bad. There were not the perfect circumstances. For example, a young couple, young couple, probably teenagers, 
They're far away from home. They don't have any money. We find that out later when they do the sacrifice. There's no money. They have no place to sleep. They end up in a cave probably or a shed of some sort where they keep the animals. And she's pregnant and it's not even his kid. (laughs) Not a perfect Christmas, if you ask me. The circumstances aren't perfect. But you know what? That first Christmas was perfect. And here's why. We will not, on this earth, with our fallen nature and the world in which we live, we will not achieve perfection. But it does not mean we can't experience a perfect love. You see, that's what happened at the first Christmas. That's what made it perfect. The circumstances were not perfect, but the love that was revealed at that first Christmas was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. It was how God chose to reveal how much he loved us. As we think about that first Christmas and we think about Joseph and Mary and and we think about all that, that that entails, here's what we need to understand. The first Christmas was not about decorations, but declaration. It wasn't about the decoration. We think Christmas is about the lights and the trees. It's not. It's about a declaration. And the declaration of Christmas was, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. That is the declaration of Christmas. We don't think of that as a Christmas passage, but it is. Because that's why Christmas happened. It was a message to say to you and I, to humankind, even though we turned our back on God, some of us don't even believe God exists, and he still says, I love you. He still says, I love you. You know, it's interesting, so much of our, I love studying. I'm kind of an expert on Christmas. I am, because I've been speaking on for so many years, and I just studied all the time, and all kinds of books and and music and stuff, because I I just really find it interesting. You know, there was no Christmas tree at the first Christmas, right? You understand that? Right? There wasn't. There was no Christmas tree there. Um, But there was a tree, and it wasn't on Christmas. It was on Good Friday. See, a couple of the authors of the New Testament called the cross, they call it a tree. Maybe it's because it's made of wood, maybe it's shade. I don't, I don't know. They called it a tree. And the truth is that the declaration of Christmas, I love you, it was announced at Christmas, but it was fulfilled on Good Friday. Because it's John 3.16, for God so loved the world. But 1 John 3.16 said, and this is how we know what love is, that Christ laid his life down for us. He announced it, he fulfilled it, and we know it's true resurrection, the ascension, all of that is wonderful, and it, and it talks just about forever, but the message of Christmas is fulfilled on Good Friday, and it says, I love you this much. Maybe you're here, and you're feeling kind of not loved. I know enough of you guys to know some of your stories, and many of you don't know your story, but there's some folks here this year who've been abandoned by someone they loved. I mean, somebody willfully walked away from you, said they don't love you anymore. Is it? I don't know that there's many things that hurt more than that. Just for uh, services today, I got a card from someone and in the passage for unto us, a child is given unto us, a son is born. And the caption was, I can just hear your dad saying that. For those of you who don't know, my dad was a pastor and had this beautiful voice and died a couple of years ago. Yeah, that was a little... A little hard to read because there's something missing for me. <laughs> and maybe this year there's something missing at your Christmas, but the announcement of Christmas is that you're loved. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what's happened in the last year, good, bad, or indifferent, you are loved. 
more than you could ever possibly imagine. You are loved. Here's what's interesting is that you may not even believe that God is or that God exists and he still loves you. And he still came to be born in a manger, to die on a cross, to be resurrected from the grave in order to say, not only do I love you, but I want you to know me. I want you to know that I love you. You know, another thing it wasn't at the first Christmas were gifts. You're saying, but, and I'll say, but the wise men didn't arrive for a little while. The wise men got caught in traffic. That's the original Greek. And, uh, and if you read the passage, you'll find that they did not come to the stable. They did not come to the nativity. It says they arrived at the house where Joseph and Mary and Jesus were staying. So they'd moved from a stable to a house. So whatever it was, a matter of days, a matter of weeks, it could have been up to two years if you use Herod's actions uh, as an indication. Uh, they arrived later. So no one brought gifts to the nativity. The, the shepherds came kind of smelly and without showers probably because they've been out in the fields, but nobody brought gifts. It's so interesting because we, again, we think that it's about the decorations or it's about the getting the gifts and all the kids are excited about the gifts, but I can prove to you it's not about the gifts. It's not even about the gifts for the most, <coughs> excuse me, materialistic among us. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to ask you a question, and when I say go, I want you to answer it immediately. Don't think about it, just go, all right? I want you to name, to the person next year, I want you to name the three gifts, at least three of the gifts you got last Christmas, go. That murmur you're hearing is nervous laughter, apologies, and we'll have a booth set up out front uh, for marriage counseling later because you're sitting next to the person who gave you the gifts and you can't remember. All right, I'm going to get you off the hook right now, though. I'm going to get you off the hook. Here it is. You ready? I want you to tell that same person, everybody who was in the room when you were opening gifts last year, go. How many people did better on the second question than the first? How many people did better on the first question? Liars. All right, so uh, here's the point of that. The point is that we tend to sometimes think that Christmas is about the presents, but it's not about a present. It is about who is present. It was about who was there. That's why buying your own gifts doesn't work, because it's not about the thing. It's about the person that gave you the thing, right? Because Christmas is about love. Remember, we already told you that. In the nativity, the love, that's what was given to us. What didn't happen was people didn't bring gifts to the nativity. What did happen is we were given a gift. We were given a present of his presence, so last night we had this service in here. It was a family service. First time I've ever done this. Anyway, I invited families and kids and everybody. The place was packed. It was the wildest service I've ever been to in my entire life. I'm not even sure it was Christian. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm confused about parts of it. And they had buckets hanging from the ceiling. There's balls flying everywhere. It was half our staff was dressed like weird Halloween. I don't know what was going on. It, 
It was really fun, though. It was really fun. We had so many people. It was great. And I was thinking about when I was, I ended up not having to do a big talk, but I was thinking if I had to do a talk, what would I do? How would I explain this idea that Christmas means that God is with us? Emmanuel, God came to be with us. His presence changes everything. So I said, okay, so maybe I could get somebody, while I'm telling them about having somebody with you all the time that cares for you and loves you, it would be powerful. I'd have somebody come out like in a cow costume behind me and I pretend they're not there and everywhere I went I would talk about how God is always with you everywhere you are and he loves you and he cares about you when you have problems he wants to help and when you're in trouble he wants to talk to you about it and just act like I didn't know and the little kids would go oh he's right he's right he's right there he's right behind you but then I realized the kids would all go away thinking God was a cow <laughs> and so we didn't do it but what a powerful image that God is with us you know what that means that means that you're never alone I talked a moment ago about people who don't feel loved. Maybe you feel alone. Maybe you're in this huge crowd, hundreds of people, and you feel alone, but you're not. He came to be with us. You see, he came so that we would know he understands. There's nothing you will go through that he doesn't understand. He knows what it feels like to lose someone you love dearly. He cried at the tomb of Lazarus. He understands what sadness looks like, feels like. He understands what rejection feels like. He was rejected by his own people, put to death actually by them. Even at one point, it looked like he might be a little rejected by his own family. His best buds didn't get what he was up to. They were all fighting over who was number two. He understands what we're going through. He comes to say, I love you, and I am with you. You see, if we begin to understand that he is with us, we begin to live differently. We don't live as if and the common wisdom of today, which is, if it is to be, it is up to me, which is not in the Bible, by the way. It's not even close to being in the Bible because he says, no, it's not up to you. It's up to us, me and you. I will walk with you. I will empower you. I will raise your aspirations. I will adjust the trajectory of your life. I will purify your relationships and your intentions if you'll just allow me to walk with you. That's why he said, come follow me. Let's do this together. If God is with us, then we can live a different kind of life. We have a whole different kind of potential living, as it were, in the presence of God. It'll even change the way you drive on the freeway. If we become mindful and accept and submit ourselves and accept his presence, it changes the potential of our life. I have this theory at Christmas. Part of the reason I love Christmas is it brings out the worst and the best. The worst in the parking lots, but the best in other places. I have this, this theory that just the, the awareness of the possibility that there is a God and that he might be with us, even for those who don't even believe in God, but just the music alone gets in there, you know? Just the possibility, I think, causes us to think a little differently about each other. I read a story, it's uh, by David Jeremiah, it's a, a, a true story about a young girl 17 years old, raised in a, uh, raised in a rural setting. And her name, I want to get it right. Her name is, his last name is Fisher. First name is Katie Fisher. 17 years old, raised in a rural setting. Now, I don't know if you know about rural settings at all or anything, but, but uh, oftentimes they'll raise animals for 4-H and for different things to show them. If you've never been to a county fair, you ought to go. I, I've taken my kids all their life in, in state fair, county fair. I love taking my grandkids. Yes, they blow dry sheep. Look at that. Anyway, um, they do to show them, right? She had a, a lamb she had been raising, and she came down with cancer, and the, the bills were adding up, and she wanted some spending money just to have some fun or do something. And, but the only thing she had, she knew the family was overburdened with the medical bills, so she 
sent the lamb off to the auction house. And you have to understand what I'm saying, but there's a metaphor here too as well, if you listen for that. At that time, the lambs were bringing about $2 on the hoof per pound. And so her lamb went up for auction. But unbeknownst to her in advance, the auctioneer knew her story and began to explain who she was and what she was going through. The bidding began and the lamb went to $2, $3, $4, $5. It went over $11 per pound and sold. And just as the man who bought it raised his card to show his card to pay for it, he said, oh, and by the way, I want you to auction that again and give the money to her. Sold again. The next buyer said, give the money to her, auction it again. 36 times that lamb was auctioned. True story. Over $16,000 for what should have been a $150 lamb. And then the last buyer showed his number and said, now give the lamb back to her. You take it home. It's yours. Isn't that a wonderful story? You know, Jesus was called the Lamb of God. You know that, right? A part of what he came to do is pay a price for all that we've ever done wrong. You know that, right? When we treat each other that way, the reason it feels so good is not just because our race is going to continue into the future if we're nice to each other. It's not that at all. It's in those moments where reflection of the kind of love that brought God to earth to say, I love you. It's in those moments we're most like him. And as we know him and trust him and receive him into our lives, he wants to make us more and more and more like him so that those stories shouldn't be so rare after all. And at Christmas, we kind of somehow get in touch with that. You remember that. There was a gift in the, in the manger. They, shepherds didn't bring it. The wise men didn't show up on time. It was in the manger. It was God's love on display. Hmm. A few years ago, I mentioned that the trip to Israel, we visited Herodian, which is Herod's palace, just up on a hill above Bethlehem. You can even see the excavation. The paint is still on the walls all this time later. It's been perfectly preserved by the desert and the rubble around it. Beautiful maroon colors and gold, and it's incredible. And as you stand in this beautiful palace, you can look down on where Joseph and Mary were, down in Bethlehem. It's so interesting that God chose to come to Bethlehem. If he'd just changed his aim a little bit, he would have hit a palace. It seems a little more appropriate that God would be born in a palace than in a manger, right? But there was no palace. I mean, there was one. It was right there, but it wasn't part of the Christmas story. Why is that? God did it on purpose. I got to thinking about this, by the way. I'm not sure that even a palace is all that impressive to God. So I'm sure that he wasn't impressed with the palace at all. And he wanted to make it so incredibly obvious to us that he was arriving in the most common, ordinary and for him, probably inappropriate place in order to tell us that he came for all of us and that none of us have messed up so badly that our life is too stinky for him. Because <laughs> where he was born is a pretty smelly place, a very ordinary place, a very common place, a very lowly place. I think he came to tell us that no matter what you've done or has been done to you, no matter how messed up your life has been, no matter how bad, it's not too low. It's not too common. It's not too ordinary. He came for every one of us, no matter where we are and what we've done. He came for us. 
You see, it's an interesting thing. He didn't come to the palace. I, I have a theory. He came, I believe he came to this table so that we would all know that nobody is beyond God's reach. But I also think he wouldn't have been welcomed in the palace because powerful people like Herod don't think they need God. And it's wonderful for us to sit here and talk about those rich and powerful people. They're awful. But the problem is there's a little Herod in all of us. My, my grandson, uh, Amy, was uh, going to one of the kids' school program this week, and, and, and Cody was speaking at something, and so they asked me if I watched my little grandson, Jed, and so Jed came into my office, and he's just all energy all the time, and he's learning to talk, and I'm not sure I like it, and, and, um, and so his aunt, uh, he calls her Cece, my daughter Chelsea came by to help me out a little bit, we're sitting there, and Chelsea figured out how to get up on the television, you know, uh, Mickey Mouse Club, which he kept asking for Mickey Mouse Club, and, and so we'd put it up, but no sooner we got up, and he'd say, oh, I don't want, and we're like, well, we must have misunderstood, and then a few minutes later, he'd ask for Mickey Mouse Club again, so we're sure this time it was Mickey Mouse, is that what you want, put on, yeah, that's what I want, and then two minutes later, no, I don't want, I don't want, and, and, and we played this like 16 times, and finally it dawned on us that the game was not watching Mickey Mouse Club, it was watching Papa and Auntie, Auntie Cece at his beck and call. He was playing us like a fiddle. Because even little kids want to control everything. You see, Herod's problem was is that he didn't want another king of the Jews, even if it was God himself. He wanted to keep power. He wanted to keep control. He wanted to keep his position. If you doubt that, you can read extra biblical sources about him. He killed most of his own family in order to do that because he was power hungry. I'm glad we're not like that. Or are we? It only, it's the only thing that explains the way I drive on the freeway. There's a little Herod in all of us. This is my lane. What do you think you're doing? It's my turn to turn left. What do you think you're doing? Unfortunately, we live our entire lives like that. If we don't get our way, we get pretty upset because there's a little Herod in all of us. I heard this true story this week. It was a really, really interesting story. It's, a, it's about two policemen here in Southern California. I can't remember the community. I apologize. Somewhere close by. And, and they were driving uh, on the freeway, and this car um, was doing 70 miles an hour, and it was going too fast. And so they, they put the lights on, and the car didn't slow down, and they turned the sirens on, the car didn't slow down. And, and they started talking, what is going on here? They pulled up beside it. The car wouldn't slow down, and, but it wasn't a chase because it wasn't speeding up. It was just going the same, and then it dawned on them, this is a Tesla. Now, I personally believe anybody driving a Tesla ought to be pulled over just for showing off, but that's my own personal envy. And said, let's try something. And so one of them got behind the car and started zigzagging on the freeway to get the rest of the traffic to stop. The other one sped up around it and got right in front of him and started slowing down. Slowed it all the way down until it completely stopped. Jumped out and went and banged on the window and woke the guy up because the Tesla was driving itself. Now, what's interesting about that is they hauled him off for DUI later, but... Allow me this analogy, if you will. Our entire lives, we're told what life is supposed to look like. Our entire life, we're told you do this, you go to this school, you finish this thing, you get this job, you buy this house, you marry this kind of person, you have 2.5 kids, you own these cars, whatever it is, and we do that, and we're on autopilot going somewhere. We haven't even thought about where we're going. We're just on autopilot. Could I just ask you something this Christmas? Even if your person doesn't believe in God, could, could I just ask you to stop just stop. See, the reason I love the nativity is because it's not crazy. Good Friday's crazy. They're yelling, crucify him, and there's awful violence and all this stuff. But I think the reason we love the nativity, it's, it's just quiet. It's just two teenagers in a really difficult spot in it together. 
giving birth to a baby with nothing but the sounds of animals in the background. There's no hurry. There's no crazy. There was in the village because they were all too busy to help this young couple. But for this young couple, they're there in a cave or a shed or whatever it was. And it's just them. And they just stopped and let God do an amazing thing. Would you just do me a favor and stop sometime in the next 24, 48 hours? Just stop because God might want to arrest you. He might want to pull you over and say, you know, you think you're winning by putting those hours in at the office, but your kid doesn't even know who you are. You think being a, a people pleaser and getting everybody's work done is great, but your heart's going to blow up in about a year and a half if you don't stop. You think you're just setting the world on fire, but your wife's thinking about leaving you because she's so lonely. <laughs> Doyle, those are just cheap shots. Would it be worth it to stop if he could save you from one of those? See, the ultimate reason he would stop you is so he could save you from an eternity without him. But the good news is he doesn't just stop us to save us from something. He saves us to something. See, there's this weird thing that we just don't stop and pay attention to, but we have certain giftings. We have certain abilities. We take most of them for granted, but we have certain passions. We're just passionate about certain things that other people aren't passionate about, and we don't understand. Those aren't just quirks of our nature. Those aren't just accidents. That is something that God planted in you because he has an intention for your life. He wants to save you from self-destruction to making an impact in the world. And that's why you are you, and you're not like anybody else. And if you'll just stop long enough for him to rest you, to point you in the right direction, he might save your marriage, he might save your life, he would certainly save your eternity, and he might save somebody else through you if you just slow down enough to hear him. Well, that's pretty, that's hyperbolic. Hmm. I bet there's somebody within three feet of you right now who's experienced that very thing. And if they haven't, I have. If you're a person that doesn't even believe in God, I got a challenge for you. You got nothing to lose. A couple minutes. Would you just pause somewhere in the quiet? It might be in your car. It might be in the garage. It might be. And would you just call out to that God you don't believe? Just tell him you don't believe in him. I don't even believe you're there. But if you are, would you let me know? Wouldn't that be amazing if he did? I believe he might. It might not be the way you expect, but I believe he might. Maybe you're a person who does believe in God, but you've gotten on kind of autopilot lately. You've been going pretty hard and pretty fast, not paying a whole lot of attention to your relationship with him, not really experiencing that love that he came to express to you, and certainly not sharing it with many people in your life. And I would challenge you to stop. Just stop. Let him arrest you. Let him recalibrate your life your aspirations, your intentions, your trajectory. That's why I love Christmas. Every year we have to face, am I going to stop and listen or am I going to plow through this thing? I'm just challenging you. Maybe God has more for you than you've experienced. I believe he does. Will you stop? Let him love you. Let him be with you. Let him guide you. Let him save you. Let's pray. Lord God, there's not a person in this room who couldn't benefit from spending a little time with you, a little quiet time, a little time alone, a little time reflecting on who you are and what you've done and why you came, a little time allowing that to 
dictate who we become and where we're headed and what we're doing in this, this new year to come. Lord, I pray that right now people would in the next day not just receive nice gifts and nice presents and have a nice family time. I pray that you would do miraculous things. Like we heard a few moments ago from the young man with the drum, I believe you still do miraculous things. I believe you still restore marriages, and I know some marriages right now that are so broken, I, I think only you could restore them. Lord, I believe you can bring healing to those who are struggling. I know some people in this congregation have gotten some very bad news this week, and I pray that you'd bring healing to those bodies and peace to those souls. Lord, for some of us, life's going good. We have nothing to complain about, but yet it feels like something's missing. Lord, I believe you can fill that place. You can give not only the love that we crave, but the purpose that we need. Lord, this Christmas we ask that you would visit us again, that you would speak to us again, that we would be in such an attitude about what you have done and do for us that we can't help but be worshipers this Christmas. Let us turn toward you. Let us pause. Let us remember. Let us be changed. In Jesus' name, amen.